Well, hello and welcome to Rare Nautical Reads with me, Chris Stanmore Major. In this episode, we're concluding Strange But True, The Life and Adventures of Captain Thomas Crapo and Wife, published New Bedford, 1893. We're on part 11, and we're finishing up chapter 4. Chapter 4 continued. All we had to depend on now was our small boat, a yawl, used for taking a line to shore or to go ashore in, or, in fact, she came in handy a great many times, especially at this time. Now the question of the moment was, could we launch her safely in such a furious sea? And the only answer to it was try and see, which we did, and joy of joys we landed her right side up with care into that seething ocean. And as she struck the water, I jumped into her to hold her alongside, at the same time calling to my crew to get in as quick as possible, as the boat was in imminent danger of being crushed against the side of the vessel. But, luckily, no such misfortune befell us. Our cook, a man from Boston, tried to catch some lumber thrown overboard by the crew in case the boat tipped over, and it swept out of his reach as he either fell or jumped into the seething sea without catching hold of anything. All of us in the boat saw his head once as he came to the top of the water, but he was dead. The furious sea that had been so destructive to the schooner by tumbling her about now caught the yawl boat as though it was a chip and tossed it high in the air and then let it drop into the hollow of the waves and it looked as though it would be smashed to pieces at any moment. We had not left the schooner five minutes before she careened. One rail went down under water and the next minute she disappeared altogether, going down bow first. Such was her fate. And what ours would be the Lord only knew. I don't know whether anyone but ourselves saw her go down, but it was a sorry sight, especially for us, and left as we were, yet there were other vessels not a great distance off, battling with the wind and waves in order to remain afloat. We had not been in the boat a half hour when she was swamped by cross seas, and she turned over as quick as a flash, but luckily we were on our guard and scrambled for the bottom of her, which was now the top. I got a good hold and kept it, but the other four were not so fortunate as a large sea took them away, but unbelievably the next one brought them back, and they succeeded in getting back to and on top of the boat. Sometimes we were thrown forty or fifty feet away from the boat, but managed always to get back again. After a while she righted, and we again got inside, but very soon she was again sent whirling over and over, and we were all struggling to get back. I should judge it was about eight o'clock when Daniel Coombe, a seaman from Middleton, Connecticut, was swept off, and being very much exhausted, he did not have the strength to get back, so he was lost. This left us only four out of our crew of six, and unless we were rescued very soon, there would be none left to tell the story. At last, we saw a large two-masted schooner coming towards us, and our courage arose at once, but those on board did not appear to see us as she swept on and was soon lost to view. The wind still howled, and we began to look our fate squarely in the face. Such times as these a person thinks, if he ever does, and rapidly too. Every few minutes some of us would be washed off, and none of us could tell who would be the next victim claimed by Mother Ocean. I knew there must be other vessels close by, but the sea was so rough we could not be seen a half of a mile. I honestly believe I was swept off the boat at least a hundred times, but always was fortunate enough in getting back again. The seas, I should judge, were running all of seventy feet high, and it would have made a landsman dizzy to have looked down into the trough. 
That was a boiling sea, and with all my going to sea, I never saw its equal and hope I shall never see it again. After the large schooner passed us, we did not see another sail until noon, when one appeared with hardly enough canvas spread to make an awning. We were seen from her, and she began to drift towards us, but missed us as another schooner ran between and by us. The schooner was the Emily Northam, under command of Captain H. H. Stetson, as brave a captain as sails the seas anywhere. When he found he was going to miss us, he ran on out of sight, and very soon we saw him working back along towards us. My readers must understand that it took a smart man to keep his vessel afloat in that gale, to say nothing of working around to save the survivors from another vessel. My companions declared the schooner would not come back, but I was quite sure she would. Ned Walsh, one of the seamen, had dropped off and was floating with a piece of timber under each arm. The mate, R.S. Pettingill, was hanging to the forward part of the boat, and every sea that struck him knocked his breast against the boat. I could see he was terribly hurt. The poor fellow, how I pitied him, and yet I could do nothing for him. I could see he was dying, and it was a terrible sight. His breast must have been crushed to a jelly, but he held on pluckily until just after the Emily Northam picked us up when he dropped off and his body floated around and did not sink, so it was certain he was not drowned. Kind friends, permit me to say there is not, I don't believe, one man in five hundred that could handle a vessel as Captain Stetson did that day. And as the story continues, I will give my readers what Captain Stetson said about the rescue. Charles Wickland a Swede, the only seaman that was able to remain on the boat with me, was so overjoyed at the rescue that his mind was affected almost as soon as he got on board of the Northam and had to be put into an asylum as soon as we arrived in port. My schooner was valued at $4,000 and was insured for $2,500. The cargo was also valued at $4,000. Captain Stetson's home is in Revere, Massachusetts, near Boston, and he is well known in this port, having sailed here for many years. He is a well-built man with a clear blue eye and round full face which shows nerve and firmness in every line. All of the shipping men whose best understand and appreciate the bravery and skillful seamanship required in picking us up speak in high terms of him. Captain Stetson says in his modest way, The storm as described by Captain Crapo was a fearful one and we were fortunate as we did not lose a particle of canvas or a part of rope. My wife and two children were on board at the time a lass of thirteen and a lad of ten. After eating supper on Tuesday night, I went on deck and did not go below again until midday Wednesday. The cook was bringing something on deck for the crew to eat when the mate called out, There's a boat captain with five people on it under our lee. Take that back, cook. We've got to save those men before we can eat, I said. There was no way of getting to them except to drift, and that was attempted, and as was stated, the schooner studded by us between us and the boat. Consequently, the boat drifted by us. As I saw we had drifted by them, I had all the sail put on I dared, and ran away from them, leaving them clinging to the boat. I ran on out of sight, and I was afraid they would give up in despair. So as soon as I could, I wore around and ran back. When I caught a sight of them, I began drifting. I intended to get them in if it took all night, for I could not go and leave them to perish. It took me three hours, but at last I got headed so that I drifted right up to the man on the boards. As I came up, the schooner laid over, her rail underwater, and we picked him up, and as she righted, he rolled in on deck, and saved, thank God. Three minutes after, I drifted down on the boat, and as it came alongside, I reached my hand to Captain Crapo, and pulled him on board. My wife 
gave the sailors some hot rum and they soon began to feel better. Captain Crapo refused to drink any. Wickland, the Swede, was so overjoyed at being rescued that his mind was affected almost as soon as he got on board my schooner, poor fellow. Yet situated as they were, it is no wonder as it takes nerves of steel to go through what they did, alone, on the mighty deep, clinging to a frail boat which was tumbled about like a chip by the mighty waves. Words cannot describe it, and it is a mystery how Captain Crapo ever got her in the water without her smashing to pieces. Captain Crapo says in reply, When I saw that we would have to take to the boat which was upside down on the fore hatchway where she was lashed, I cut the lashings from her and rolled her over, and I began nailing strips of boards on the gunwale and put the oars in and lashed them amidships. I then nailed an awning around her which, with the oars, formed a sort of roof. I then ordered a keg of water put in and meat and provisions, as we did not know when we would be picked up, if at all. I then cut adrift two planks which were used to stay the deck load and lashed a line about eighty fathom long to them and threw them overboard to act as a drogue for the boat. Several times while getting her ready, heavy seas would board us and fill the boat nearly full of water. When we got all ready, we had to work very careful in order to launch her safely, and we were very fortunate in doing so. Our escape from a watery grave was indeed a miracle, and we were indebted to Captain Stetson for his timely assistance, as we could not have held on much longer, as we were very much exhausted. We were very thankful to be permitted to once more walk the deck of a good, staunch vessel. Captain Stetson's destination was Savannah, Georgia, and as we had no choice of a landing place, we were contented to proceed there with him. Everything that could be done for us was done by everyone on board, especially the captain, his wife and children, who seemed to be always looking for our comfort. Wickland, the sailor, was in a bad way, but with proper treatment in a quiet place, he may regain his reason yet. At last, we arrived at Savannah, and once more stepped on dry land, which was very pleasant to us, after our terrible experience, and the news of our disaster spread like wildfire, and the evening paper called the Savannah Daily Times printed the following, which I will give just as it was printed. Savannah, Georgia, Monday, August 31st, 1885, founded at sea. Another victim of the hurricane of Tuesday last, the schooner Gusty Wilson from New York for Jacksonville goes down off Cape Hatteras. Her crew take to their boat. Their fearful suffering three drowned, and three finally saved. This morning the schooner Emily Northam, Captain H. H. Stetson, arrived in port, having been delayed on the way by the storm of Tuesday last. He reports that he had good weather until about 50 miles east of Hatteras, when a hurricane struck him with full force. He hove his vessel to, and made every preparation for meeting the storm, fortunately pulling through it all right, though badly shaken up. The next day about midday, while still hove to, a boat was sighted bottom up with three men clinging to it. He immediately prepared to go down to it and see what he could do towards rescuing the unfortunate sailors, but in this he had great difficulty as the wind was blowing terrible strong and the seas were rolling mountains high, and it was almost impossible to make any sail on the vessel. He, after three hours hard work, managed to drift down to the boat when he found that she belonged to the schooner Gusty Wilson, Captain Thomas Crapo, bound from New York to Jacksonville, Florida, with railroad iron. Every sea that hit the boat rolled her over and over, and washed those clinging to it for dear life as far as twenty feet away. They would swim back only to be washed off again. Captain Crapo estimates that this occurred at least one hundred times, but fortunately 
they were always enabled to regain the upturned boat and keep themselves afloat. At last, they sighted the Northam, and Hope revived that they might be saved. After she had been sighted, the mate died from exhaustion and floated away. Captain Crapo says, We were on the bottom and clinging to the boat for six hours, and carrying on a fearful battle for life. There were six of us all told, but only three live to tell the tale, and they are all badly used up. It was a terrible experience, and our escape from death was miraculous. They will always be able to relate a fearful tale of the sea, one of the most thrilling to which we have ever listened. Captain Stetson further reports that he passed a great deal of wreckage all day yesterday between St. Helena Sound and the lightship, consisting of boats, bales of goods, planks, driftwood, and so on. The only thing he could pick up was a case of lard marked Diamond G. He also passed a water tank and various other articles belonging to vessels. He is showing the rescued seamen every attention possible and hopes to soon bring them around all right again. He says he cannot begin to express his feelings when he first saw them clinging to that capsized boat, especially when he found so much difficulty in getting to them, and when he got them on board, he thinks he felt as happy as they did themselves. According to the theory of Admiral Semmes, we must have been caught in a cyclone. They are described as having two motions, one forward in the direction in which they are travelling, and another in a circle. Therefore, when a vessel first enters one of these dread disturbers of the elements, she is struck by the wind blowing in a certain direction. As the storm passes on its course, the vessel gradually gets within the centre of the cyclone, and there is almost a dead calm. As the storm continues on its course, the vessel encounters that portion of the circumference of the circle opposite to that which first struck her, and she finds herself again at the mercy of furious winds blowing from an entirely different direction. This was exactly the conditions of the Wilson, as described by Captain Crapo. She was struck on Friday night by the perimeter of the cyclonic circle. Then the cyclone passed over her and left her in a calm. Then, as it went on northward, she was again struck by the circle with the wind from the opposite direction, and she found it impossible to weather both attacks. Consequently, she foundered. The Savannah Morning News of February 15, 1887 reads thus, A brave man's reward. Captain Stetson's heroic conduct at sea worthily recognised. About three weeks ago, just before leaving New York, Captain H. H. Stetson of the schooner Emily F. Northam was presented with a handsome gold medal at the Maritime Exchange of the Life-Saving Humane Benevolent Society of New York in recognition of his gallant rescue of Captain Crapo and two of his crew of the wrecked schooner Gusty Wilson, August 26, 1885. His act was applauded everywhere and was considered a daring feat of seamanship in the way it was done. The captain is justly proud of his medal and it is a just recognition of his gallant conduct. After remaining in Savannah a few days, I bid the captain and his family goodbye and proceeded to New York, having had a pass sent to me by the underwriters, and from there I returned to New Bedford, where I stayed quite a length of time to recruit up. Early the next spring, I bought another schooner named the Oriole and have followed the coasting business up to the present time. I am today in good health and spirits, and am at present only waiting for the spring to open, when I shall again bend sail and start in quest of cargoes. For one must be up and doing these days in order to keep their head above water. I am in receipt of letters almost daily with orders for photographs of my wife and myself, and many times of the boat, 
and as we get them by the thousand, we are always ready to meet the demand. Hoping my efforts to please have been successful, I will close with best wishes to all. Epilogue My late husband, Captain Crapo, bought the brig Manson of New Bedford in the spring of 1895. She was run very successfully in the coasting business, carrying lumber and general merchandise between Boston, Philadelphia and Norfolk, Virginia, Captain Crapo being accompanied by myself on a good many of his voyages. It may be interesting to note here that I was always considered a fit first officer for the Manson, and it gives me all the more regret to speak of the loss of the brig, which occurred January 9th, 1898. In the beginning of January, she left Norfolk with a cargo of lumber for Philadelphia, but encountered foggy weather, which became so severe that Captain Crapo deemed it advisable to make for Delaware breakwater, and in doing so, the brig, which he had made famous, went ashore, and before assistance reached her, there was no possible chance of saving her, on account of the severity of the storm. The tug, North America, was the one sent to her assistance, but before she reached the Manson, the seas had played their sad havoc with the brig. I also desire to mention that with the famous Manson perished the still more famous 19-foot boat, the New Bedford, on which Captain Crapo and myself crossed the Atlantic Ocean in 1877, which accomplishment is still fresh in the memory of the people. A still greater loss has come to me since the loss of the Manson and the New Bedford, and it is this loss that has caused me to write this short article. While Captain Crapo was on his way from New Bedford to Cuba in a nine-foot boat named Volunteer, this sad loss came to me. On his voyage, he had visited Fall River, Providence, Bristol and Newport. He left Newport May 3rd, 1899, and was never heard of again until his body was found off Charleston Beach, he having been drowned by the capsizing of his boat in a severe gale. Just previous to the death of my husband, he had the misfortune to lose almost his entire estate on account of the loss of his vessel and other things, and I am now solely depending on the result of the book, Strange But True, published by my late husband and myself. I, therefore, commend the book to those who are in sympathy with increasing the sale of it, believing that it will be both entertaining and instructive to all who read it. With my very best wishes to all, Joanna Crapo. Well, that's the end of today's chapter. We're going to continue with the story tomorrow. Now, if you haven't already, consider please going over to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner. You can follow the link in the podcast description. And there we have a growing community of people just like yourself who are interested in sailing, interested in seamanship, and interested to learn more techniques and tips that can help their time on their boat be safer and more enjoyable. So at $5 a month, your donation directly contributes to me being able to produce the podcasts and keeps the lights on, keeps the wheels going around. But if you are interested in developing your skills further, then you may be interested to increase your contribution to the next level up, to the mate level. And there for $20 a month, you get access to the one hour professionally produced seamanship training videos that we do each month which drill down and look at specific aspects of seamanship and safety at sea, get into the nitty gritty of it and uh, share with you information that can make your time at sea both more enjoyable and safer. So if any of that sounds interesting, go along to patreon.com forward slash the Mariner or follow the link in the podcast description and become part of the community. But that's all for today. So I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing, you are safe and sound and I look forward to speaking to you in the next one.
Cheers.